Section 66 of The World War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hawaii in May 2021. The World's Story, Volume 15, The World War. Edited by Horatio W. Dresser. Section 66. The Work of the British Submarines. 1914 to 1917 by w mcneil dixon in view of the extreme activity of german submarines it seemed strange for a considerable period that the allied submersibles were accomplishing so little with the exception of an occasional exploit in the dardanelles the north sea or the baltic the allied submarines appeared to be quiescent Meanwhile, the Germans even ventured to send two merchant submarines, the Deutschland and the Bremen, across the Atlantic. The answer is found in the effectiveness of the British fleet in sweeping the seas of German warships and merchantmen. The Editor The submarine is not a German invention. Nearly a hundred and fifty years ago, in 1774, an Englishman named Day was drowned at Plymouth while experimenting with an underwater boat of his own invention. American engineers like Bushnell and Fulton did more than any others to perfect the type, and an American, Holland, first solved in a practical fashion the problem of submarine navigation. His vessel was so highly thought of in England that the construction of others was at once begun and since 1901 submarines have formed part of the British Navy. At the beginning of hostilities, Germany had probably in commission 40 such vessels, as against Britain's 60 or 70. Even in this region of naval strength on which she prides herself, she was inferior. Yet no one will deny that the deeds of German submarines have filled our ears, while little has been heard of Britain's doings beneath the sea. The reason is not far to seek. On all the seas of all the world, passenger, trading, and fishing vessels, line after line, pursue their lawful enterprises under the British flag. There is no scarcity of game for the hunter, and no great glory in the sport, for, add neutral ships, and on the busy streets of the sea one could hardly discharge a torpedo in any direction without striking something that floats a week or two ago wrote a voyager in the north sea in october nineteen fourteen i counted at one time from one point forty-seven vessels tramps trawlers drifters all in full view and i took no count of sailing craft or of vessels hull down in the offing not one of these was a German ship. All were open to the attack of German raiders, while for the British submarine commander not a single target was in view. Who then need feel surprised that vastly more has been heard of Germany than Britain in this form of war? One must allow that Germany's submarines achieved certain legitimate successes against warships, more especially in the early days, but these did nothing to alter the balance of naval power, and her great and less glorious campaign has been against defenseless vessels. Why has she devoted such energy and attention to submarine warfare? 
for no other reason than despair of doing anything else upon the seas. On and after February 18, 1915, every enemy ship found in the war region will be destroyed, she announced, without its being always possible to warn the crew or passengers of the dangers threatening. Before that date, indeed, vessels like Ben Croachan had been sunk, for the sake, one supposes, of a little preliminary practice. But the world refused to believe that men had really come to this, that a great nation was prepared in pursuit of her purpose to slay both friends and enemies, to outrage and so cultivate the respect and admiration of humanity. They were driven to revise their estimate of what indeed was possible among Christians. On May 7th came the greatest moral shock civilization had ever received, and the black horror of it seemed to eclipse the last hopes of humankind. A great passenger liner, Lusitania, unarmed, a mere floating hotel crowded with innocent passengers, many of them Americans, deliberately mangled by a German torpedo, sank in a few minutes with 1,200 victims of the felon blow. Germany received the news with joyful applause, with thanksgiving to the German god, for was not this a signal proof of divine assistance? One point of extreme importance must here be emphasized. The British declaration of foodstuffs as absolute contraband followed the German attempt to starve her rival by the submarine attack on traders. Germany, though she represents Britain as the aggressor, herself initiated the starvation campaign. She saw and struck at Britain's vulnerable spot the supply of food to her people. Von Tirpitz declared that he could starve England, and the German announcement bears the date February 1815. The British answer to it came in March of the same year. Probably no single accomplishment of the British Navy will in the end rank higher than the incomparable resource and incomprehensible skill with which it met the new, unexpected and fiercely driven attack. Figure to yourself the task. Remember the number of possible victims on the crowded waters, the extent of the seas themselves with their innumerable and hidden avenues of approach, the invisibility of the shark-like foe, the swift and stealthy advance from any quarter, the destructive character of his weapon. Imagine defending yourself in the dark from a blow which may be struck at any moment and from any direction. Well may von Tirpitz and his followers have believed that all precautions would be vain, and that the submarine ruthlessly employed must bring the hated foe to her knees. Resolutely wielded, it seemed impossible that it should fail. Despite its widely advertised activities and ravages among defenseless ships, against which, of course, any old blunderbuss of a weapon, if supported by speed, will serve, as a fighting vessel the submarine has proved distinctly disappointing. So slow a craft, no submersible can equal the speed of a surface ship, becomes the easy prey of a destroyer, which, travelling almost twice as fast, can cover considerably over a mile in the time a submarine takes to dive and ram it, even when some feet below the surface. Blind always by night, 
blind by day when the periscope is submerged the submarine betrays itself in smooth water by a following wave and attracts the unwelcome attention of excited seabirds to whom the strange monster is clearly visible far below the surface probably in the future its greatest enemy will be the airship which discerns the unconscious enemy at a great depth remains poised above it waits for the rise and then in perfect security drops a bomb which shatters and sinks it this feat has already been performed by a british airman of middlekirk on november twenty eighth nineteen fifteen the effective handling too of this weapon especially against swift armed vessels is not easily learned we know what german submarines have or have not achieved since august nineteen fourteen turn now to the other side of the account and contrast the work of british officers and men in these vessels which have given so strange and unexampled a character to the naval war of to-day necessarily it was very different work directed exclusively against the military strength of the central powers the trade as it is called in the british navy offers a field to adventurous spirits and its doings have been many and astounding but unadvertised long before germany's british submarines crossed the atlantic but their chief centres of operations the war zones of the north sea and the dardanelles gave to their commanders more varied and exciting problems than ocean cruising the sea of marmora provided even more varied fare hourly thrills of the finest quality for here the game was complicated by a system of nets and wires of fabulous and fascinating intricacy cunning beyond computation while shore batteries and even horsemen on the cliffs not to speak of patrolling tugs and dows let loose their artillery torpedo boats shepherded you sweeping trawlers genially attempted to encircle you with nets even at one time the men in a small steamboat leaning over tried to catch hold of the top of the periscope a crowded scene and a busy life in the neighbourhood of constantinople and when at the end of three weeks or so of this gentle art of sinking enemies after losing possibly one of your periscopes by a well-aimed shot from a big gun or bumping along the bottom in a fierce tide watching the compass while the current swirls your vessel or your coffin to and fro you crave a little respite and repose you find it in the centre of the sea of marmora that shady untilled garden of the east so runs the tale as told by these young britons not indeed to the curious public but in their log-books for the better information of my lords at the admiralty their business was of course that of grievous war the harrying of transports and munition ships the destruction of battleships like the barbarossa or the ubiquitous gunboats passenger steamers they always spared hospital ships went unmolested and even when dows laden with military stores had to be disposed of the crews were towed inshore and given biscuits beef and rum and water as they were rather wet the turk has proved a more honourable foe than his master the german he both offers and receives courtesies 
one is not surprised to hear that in these cases they parted from our humane commanders with many expressions of good will. End of section 66